Welcome to another edition of Practical Reliability, insights on the practical implementation of holistic reliability, brought to you by Reliability X, the DNA of success. Hey Joe, I'm super excited about today's guest. Today we have none other than Tim Allen from Central Arizona Project. Hey Tim, welcome Tim, how you doing? Hey! Thanks, guys. Uh, great to be here. Honored uh, that I'm an invited guest. Nice. Yeah, it's you know it, it's an incredible honor. You know that it's like you know winning the Medal of Honor and then right below that is <laughs> <laughs> is being on our podcast. You know why you're here, Tim? <laughs> it's because of your All dance right. moves. It's your dance moves, Tim. It, it, you know, it is. Know. It I is. didn't know I did that. Tim. Tim is one of the, Tim is you know honestly when we you know we go to IMC every year and Tim is one of the people that I look forward to seeing each year he's he's of one course. of the guys that's awesome to hang out with great to talk to from a reliability perspective and just overall a, a real fun guy to hang out with so welcome again and uh, why, why don't you kind of introduce yourself and your background and tell us a little bit about uh, about Cap okay. Well, um, like I said, uh, going to IMC is always great, and the reason I enjoy going to that is it's it's not so much you know the content the content's great, but it's always the people that I that I see each year. It becomes uh, almost like a family, you know, like a vacation and all that. So it's always great to get back there and see everybody. So talk a little bit about my background. Um, uh, in the, been in the Navy uh, civil service, so I'd say I've been in maintenance engineering all of my career. Um, I, while I was in college, I interned uh, with the Navy, and then they hired me upon graduation, and uh, worked at Portsmouth Naval Shipyard, and we were, um, the activity I worked for was submarine maintenance engineering, planning, and procurement. We were at centralized planning activity for all the U.S. Navy's submarines, both attack and ballistic submarines. And that was quite an adventure for me. I spent 20 years there, started out as a component engineer, and then went to a system engineer. And then uh, you may know that the Navy was really a principal, one of the first adopters of RCM, Reliability-Centered Maintenance, and uh, my organization got into that probably uh, around 1995 or so, um, and uh, I really uh, saw the light at that point, that that was really a, a, a discipline to really uh, advance our game um, in, in, in the maintenance arena, and uh, really... Uh, Poured myself into that, learned as much as I could, and uh, ended up becoming the program manager for the um, RCM program uh, for the submarine directorate, um, and uh, really, really enjoyed that time. And uh, in 2005, uh, after I'd spent 20 years, I decided I, I wanted to get into the private sector. And so I made that jump um, and then was fortunate to team up with some pioneers uh, in, in maintenance and uh, reliability. Uh, Jack Nicholas, who most people in our community know, um, 
kind of set me up with uh, Anthony Max Smith, who uh, is a noted RCM author and pioneer who introduced RCM to American industry, you know, almost 40 years ago. Um, so worked with those guys and, and, and Mac and, and GMS Software um, Consulting for eight years um, and uh, spent uh, some really good projects um, in oil refineries and, and uh, Caterpillar. And, and we did a lot of work, five years worth of work, um, with the city of Cincinnati with their, uh, um, their sewer district and their waterworks. And uh, we ended up, our, our team, we had a great team there during that time. And uh, Cincinnati ended up winning two uptime awards and uh, really did a lot of, lot of great work there. And then uh, in 2013, um, I decided I wanted to get back to being a, an asset owner. Um, one of the things about consulting is um, you're there for, for a period of time, but then you're off to the next project and you really don't, you don't have a lot of ownership or you don't get to see the results necessarily unless you get um, to go back and have a more of a long-term uh, relationship. So an opportunity arose for me in Arizona uh, to come out here and uh, essentially stand up a reliability engineering group um, comprised of electrical, civil, mechanical engineers. And uh, ne had never been to Arizona, um, but I came out and uh, saw the organization and realized it was really a Class A organization. It was a good opportunity for me. And I've been out here since that time um, as supervisor of reliability and maintenance engineering. And I uh, have a great team of guys, and uh, I really enjoy it. Um, it's, uh, uh, we've put a lot of strategies in place, and, and I'm sure you will get into that um, but uh, that's my background, so I've uh, been at it a while now. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so much so that we're out of time. So we're going to wrap up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so that, that's actually a really impressive background. I mean, you've got, you've got connections and direct working relationships with, with some of the, the folks that really have laid the foundation um, and, and really set the culture and tone of what reliability is as an industry. And, uh, you know, in, in Max Smith and, and Jack Nicholas for sure. And, um, you know, that, that, that's really awesome. So, so talk to us a little bit about Central Arizona Project. What's the size and scale of, of that organization? So um, we are a water utility. Um, we have, um, and, and our job is to secure Arizona, a, a portion of Arizona's water rights off the Colorado River. Um, so our mission is to essentially take 1.6 million acre feet of water off the Colorado River each year and secure it for central Arizona. And by securing, I mean essentially uh, pumping it into a reservoir and then uh, uh, dispersing the water to uh, uh, customers um, in the metropolitan areas of Phoenix and, and Tucson. 
Um, so we are a, we're a government entity. Um, you know, some folks call us a, a municipal corporation, but we uh, our board of directors are directly elected by the residents of, of three Arizona counties, and uh, it's uh, an important mission. Um, we provide you know about 50% of the water to um, you know the centralized area of Arizona. Um, without what we do, um, you know, the expansion that Arizona has seen over the last 20 years just never would have materialized. It's one of the fastest growing cities and metropolitan areas in, in, in the country. Um, but we uh, just talk a little bit about the physical infrastructure. Um, we are a canal system. So we have a open channel canal from um, Lake Havasu, which is a dammed up portion of the Colorado River on, on the Arizona-California border. And we bring that water into along the way to, to Phoenix and then down to Tucson. We have a 336-mile aqueduct with 15 pumping stations. Um, we have a with 100 and, we have 109 main pumping units that create a vertical lift of 2,900 feet, essentially, of pumping water uphill um, to get it to, uh, you know, a desert, essentially. Um, so we, we allow and create life within the desert, get, getting water here. And it's, a, it's an awesome mission, and it's something we're all proud of here. And... Uh, you know, we've had we've had quite a journey. Um, I'd say, talking about reliability, um, this organization used to be um, a reactive organization maintenance-wise. And what I mean by that, um, the maintenance department used to just respond to breakdowns. And then about, oh, I would say early 2000s, um, they made a significant change and said, this isn't working. Um, and they moved to a proactive preventive maintenance program, a centralized planning program, um, condition-based monitoring. Um, they made it a concerted decision to, to move into to a world-class organization in regards to maintenance and reliability. And uh, they've really, um, you know, I've seen the data, you know, it's before I came on board here, of you know the availability rates, the safety rate, um, they've really improved um, in in squeezing the most value um, for the least amount of cost out of, out of our assets. Um, it was about cost about four billion dollars to um, construct the, the canal, and and that was done. It was authorized in 1968. Um, started building it in 1973. It completed uh, 1993, but we started making our first water deliveries around 1986, 85, that, that time frame. But uh, um, so that that's CAP. We're, we're uh, you know, we're a 365 days a year operation, delivering water year round, 24/7. So. So you talked about it's been an incredible journey. Can you tell us a little more specific uh, on your end, uh, the journey that you guys have been on there? 
Yeah, well, as I mentioned, when, when I came here, so I've been here five and a half years, um, what, what they were looking to, um, they wanted to do, they hadn't been able to get a reliability-centered maintenance program off the ground. Um, they've done, you know, everything, all the building blocks were in place to do that when I came here. They had a, um, you know, a great CMMS system and a great planning department and had very thorough uh, procedures and PMs and all that. And so when I came here, we, we essentially we stood up um, from the existing engineering um, and maintenance engineering, created a, a reliability engineering department. And I, one of, one of, I guess one of my first staff meetings that, you know, I, 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 I created a, a memo, a mission statement. <laughs> I basically said, you know, we're not in the business of fixing things. That's not what we are. We're, we're going to be proactive. We're going to envision a future state and, and, and work toward that future state. And I tasked my engineers, um, and, and the way we were organized, we were organized um, geographically. So each, so we basically have three geographic regions, um, uh, western, centralized, southern, and we'd have engineering disciplines assigned to each region. So I tasked my team to, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't go and look at a whole lot of data or where the failures were. I said, you guys know where the failures are. You network with the asset owners, be the, the plant supervisors and, and our maintenance org supervisors. You have routine meetings um, discussing, you know, the, the problems of the day, a week, the quarter, the year, and all that. Um, come to me with a list of some of your critical systems and, and systems that you think would benefit um, going through a reliability-centered maintenance project. And uh, we started out with, our, you know, a number of our critical assets, um, some uh, our critical pumping systems a canal system, uh, some critical motor systems and support systems. And we, we set a goal and, and we said, you know, I set an expectation um, in performance plans that, you know, I expected each engineer to be um, a, a participant and a leader um, in, in an RCM project. Um, that year and in, sub in subsequent years and sort of set a goal and uh, we just started doing it um, and one of, one of the you know I'll mention you know I, I've seen and, and you'll hear this at, at conferences that you know the hard part about RCM is implementing it right right it, 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 and uh, and so and I had seen that in my consulting years as well um, you know, I'd come in as a consultant we'd do an RCM it didn't always get implemented. Um, here it got implemented because there was strategic leadership that once we came out with our recommendations, um, everyone was aligned and the procedures happened. <laughs> um, the procedures were revised or new procedures were created, new PMs, um, old PMs deleted. Um, what was great about here was there, it was, and it surprised me. Um, it happened, you know. It was, it was, 
wasn't questioned. Um, and, so, and that was. So, uh, so, Tim, what do you think some tips you could give to people on an implementation, Ben's, that you've been on both sides of the fences, right? One where yeah. it becomes a, a, a bookshelf item versus an actual implementation. Do you have any tips you could give uh, that would help people that are going through the same things that you went through uh, prior to CAP um, that might help them on their journey? Yeah, I think there's no single magic bullet. I think what was, what first, I mean, we, we all know it takes strong leadership, a champion and all that. And I don't think it, I don't think it can be done overnight either. I think there was a culture that evolved here, a culture of, you know, we want to be world class. We expect to be world class. Um, that didn't happen overnight. Right. Um, there was, um, this organization um, stood up a maintenance excellence program, um, you know, back in the early 2000s. And they created a, a field guide um, that explained why it was um, we had to move the ball forward and and be more progressive in defining our maintenance strategies and perfecting our maintenance strategies. So, you know, everybody, when I came here, you know, everybody drank the Kool-Aid at that point, and, and um, they were on easy. board. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it... it it, it, but it, it takes it's culture, right? You yep. know, it, it's and, and you got to always work at it. And uh, and I think that was um, the big thing. And, I, and then just setting expectations. So you brought up a couple of key things for me. So one is you reached out to the other departments and asked them what was critical. So you didn't, you didn't necessarily come to them and say, here's the steps, here's what you're doing, go take this. You're asking them to get involved and have some sense of ownership. And I think the other piece that you brought up that is really significant for me is that you said the culture evolved. I, I'm not a, I, I absolutely hate when people use the terminology, we are going to change culture, right? Because that has this, context that something's wrong with your current culture and so they have to be different and i think you touch on a critical point for me in that you're evolving the organization you're you're taking the next step you're not you're not saying it directly that something is wrong it, right one of the questions i have though is is you know when you when you go down this path of of actually executing a reliability centered maintenance study and all the activities that that go with that and the next step is that implementation. The implementation, can you talk a little bit about the, the amount of planning and work that has to be part of the upfront understanding of what it will take to implement? I think a lot of the folks kind of stumble because once they get the binder, so to speak, or all the Excel files, then it hits them how much work it's really going to be to get all that implemented. And, and so they look at this giant mountain and they go, yeah, well, we're not really going to take that step. So can you kind of help with, you know, what should folks do to plan for the administrative work and, and how can they gauge or understand how much effort that really is? I'd say it's probably uh, the same amount of effort that goes into planning and executing uh, an RCM workshop. Probably that same amount of effort, if not more, over you know the next 
six months coming out of that um, of um, comparing your RCM plan to the existing plan and then adjudicating the differences. Um, it, it, it takes it takes focus. Um, we, we've actually set up um, work orders um, associated with each RCM with um, task plans and activities within that work order when we've accomplished each step. So um, I've done my uh, um, pre, you know, workshop pre-work of gathering resources, tech manuals, drawings, and all that, so you, we can check the box. That's complete. Um, I've accomplished my um, workshop where, um, where we've gone through and, and we've identified all the functions and functional failures and failure modes and mitigation strategies and all that, um, and issued a, a report, so check the box. So. That's where many of them end in, in out there in, in, in some industries. But then we go on to um, do the plan comparison. And then we actually even, even uh, try to account for um, the expected any uh, labor hour increase or decrease. So we actually try to estimate the time for any new tasks or tasks taken away. I think that's and, another uh, critical point, right? You have to you have to understand what the budget impact of implementing the RCM strategy is, right? Because right. you expect certainly it to have a positive impact to your reactive maintenance costs. Yeah. But there are some upfront costs in in the implementation in some cases, right? If if you have to do a more rigorous uh, approach to some of your asset base, and so yeah, and that you know, yeah. Yeah, and George, that's not always an easy sell, and and that's you know that that's something I've I've struggled with my entire career, and that's the challenge for all of us in you know reliability and asset management. Um, it is, hey, I want to invest this certain amount of resources in PMs with the promise to pay down the road that you're going to improve reliability, and you have to you have to make that you know. The labor hours associated with that are coming out of an existing um, pool of maintenance personnel. So when you're pitching maintenance managers who are responsible for, you know, so many FTEs and and they've got a, already an, a, probably an existing backlog of work that you know they haven't got accomplished. So it's not a, it's I won't say it's not always easy. It's never easy to. Uh, to if, if I, hey, I got to plus up my PM program for this critical system that's having some issues. Um, it, it can be a, a, a tough sell sometimes. Yeah, and you, you couple and, that with uh, how the industry's changed. You know, not just this industry, but all industries are changing. Where folks are, you know, they come in, they stay for a year, and they're out the door. And you start yeah. seeing that at a management level, and they go, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna increase my budget now, and I'm not gonna see a payback for three years." Nope, I'm, I have nothing to do with that, right? So, right. so I, I imagine that challenge is going to get even more and more difficult for folks um, as the trend of not really staying in one spot for a career continues. Yeah, and I, I would say, so you always. You always have to be sort of a, a salesman of actually publicizing your, your wins um, 
when when you when you um, improve the reliability of an asset or a system or an asset class, um, and you have the the numbers. You, you, that's why you'll see me at at you know conferences publishing the numbers because you got to you you always have to publish and publish and publish and show the evidence that this improves things. And um, it's a never-ending you know um, pitch really. Because um, just like you said, people people get a budget. They have so many people. They're going to be moving on to the next job in a year, a few years, um, and so it's difficult to be proactive versus reactive. If something breaks down, everybody gets it. We need to apply resources to get this up and going again. But to apply resources to gather a team to analyze a system, it's like you know, Covey's seven habits of sharpening the saw. Um, it's being proactive, and and it, it's hard sometimes to to you know to get all the resources to to do that effort. Um, but we've been successful in doing that here. We we've 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 been able to have those resources. And I mentioned when we do these when we do these. Uh, Workshops. It's always a cross-functional team, so we're we're bringing um, folks out of the maintenance. So when I, you know, we shine daylight on assets, and, and I'll ask, how does this fail? And I'm asking the guys that have been working on it for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, how it fails. I'm not pre-populating. You know, okay, well, these this is the list of failure modes I got off the internet. No. It's not how we do it here. Right, because you, you, you've got to get that ownership sense, right? So even though, and yeah. obviously I'm making a giant assumption here, you're going to have lots of pumping stations and they're going to have very similar failure modes. The organization, because you're so linear and across so many miles, you're working with a different team the next time. And if you just come in with, hey, well, here's what we came up with at the last station. Do you agree with it? You, you don't get the same cultural evolution. And, they, and they'll tune out. Yep. And they said, well, why don't you do it? <laughs> right, so, yeah. What do you, so what do you need me for? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So, hey, Tim, let, yeah. let's switch gears here. We know that you've right. attained your red belt. Um, yes. Uh, on your journey to get your black belt. What do, you, what do you got going on in the future? What are we going to see next? Well, um, I've one of the, the projects I've been passionate about here is... Uh, being able to collect data on a mobile tablet. So, um, for and I and I think this is probably in most industries. Uh, um, we have our checklists, uh, PMs. We go out and we do certain routes uh, on a. Right, you're you're um, almost a service style, a mobile organization as well, right? You got to run around yeah. from pumping station to pumping station. To, you know, I'm sure you have mechanics doing that or no. Yeah, so we, we have um, so we have centralized teams right. that go out and, and, and do our, you know I'll call it PDMA our, our PDMs and our condition based right. monitoring um, you know UT thermal imaging all that most of those teams are centralized and, and they'll travel up and down uh, 336 miles. Yeah. Um, but uh, many of our PMs are uh, handled locally, so we have, um, so we group probably 
one, two, or three pumping plants into a um, um, maintenance responsibility center. So that will be the one of those pumping plants will be um, the maintenance folks, their reporting station. Okay. So that's where they report the work every day. Um, and then they'll, you know, up go amongst their uh, assigned plants. So, so do, you the fleet, ones that, do you have fleet maintenance too then? Do you guys have company? Yeah, we do. We have, we have like 250 trucks or so, uh, um, if that's what you, you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's great. So we have uh, um, all of our, you know, anytime we're traveling to any site, you know, we're taking a company vehicle. So... We we have a substantial uh, fleet of trucks, um, and and you know we have a whole maintenance system. So your next, with that your next well. belt you're looking at is blue then with the mobile. What about the green with yeah. your PDM stuff that you're doing? So what one of the and I let me look at that. <laughs> okay, so um, whether these end up as. Uh, um, green or blue. There's two other projects. So one one of the projects, another project I'm working on is sort of work management. Um, how do we handle um, okay. throughput and backlog and work orders? So so um, and, and you know that's what uh, maintenance is signed up for, right? That mm -hmm. that um, we get. Um, it's like being in a batting cage, right? And and you're getting curveballs and fastballs and uh, repeatedly coming at you. And they're coming at you in the form of work orders. So how do we prioritize those work orders? How do we prioritize what we work on on any given day coming in here? Which ones do we do first, second? Um, what are the expectations of... Um, throughput or cycle time to get uh, the customers satisfied um, and how do we report out on that um, to our customers as far right. as metrics um, as far What's as CMMS what percent do you use, if you don't mind. we use Infor okay. yeah Infor okay. which I believe was originally data stream <clears throat> years ago right so um, so that that that's I will say that's not my favorite topic to work on but that's what I get paid to do to, <laughs> to uh, you know sort of it's not as glamorous right per right, se right, right. Um, uh, of just working on the, the mechanics of getting work through and assigned and monitored and tasked and, and all that so that's another project that, that um, uh, I'm working on and, and, and that will probably be under work execution management awesome. very cool so, so what is, where are we going to see you at in the future? Well, um, like I said, it's, IMC I'm or... always, yeah, I'm going to be at IMC. I'll okay. be at IMC. Awesome. Definitely. Nice. Um, I'm also going to uh, Nashville um, towards the end of the month to um, American Society of Civil Engineers Pipeline Conference. Okay. So uh, there's a lot of, condition monitoring that goes on with with pipelines that are buried you know beneath the ground on how to ascertain the health of those and and, and make decisions so um that'll, that'll be interesting yeah, so that awesome. very cool hey well listen uh good luck on the rest of your projects to attain your crl black belt um thank you so much for spending some time with us and 
and going through uh, all the efforts that you're taking in terms of RCM and, and giving our, our listeners some pointers and how to be successful. I think you bring a lot to the table with respect to RCM. So, you know, we would love to have you back on to talk very specifically about the process of RCM and, and how to help those listeners with, you know, getting to the point of implementation, but certainly planning it all up front and making sure that they have the right resources, maybe even how to sell it, you know, um, maybe that'll take a couple of sessions because we try to keep these to about a half hour. But um, this was really phenomenal, Tim, and, and we really appreciate your yeah, time today. It, Thank Tim. you very much. It's good talking to you. Hey, thanks, guys. It's always a pleasure hanging with you guys. Anytime. I was glad to do it. For questions on this or any other topics, email us at ask at reliabilityx.com. This has been another episode of Practical Reliability brought to you by Reliability X, the DNA of success.